Okay, so hello everybody once again and welcome to the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast and uh, I'm absolutely delighted today, I'm always delighted to welcome guests but particularly delighted today to welcome Maria Gillen who is a friend of mine from Ireland who I haven't spoken to for quite some time. Uh, we used to be in Toastmasters together in common with quite a lot of the people that have been on the podcast that I've kept in touch with from my days in Toastmasters. But uh, Maria is possessed of the most beautiful Irish accent and she's <laughs> going to tell you all about where, where she comes from and, and um, what she does. So uh, Maria, tell us, uh, thank you for coming on and it's a real pleasure to have you. To, uh, I can actually uh, explain to the to the audience that I can actually see you because I record these on Zoom and then I just play the audio on the podcast. But um, So it's really lovely to welcome you and thank you for being on. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Um, well, Graham, I suppose I would have worked for a long, long time in the um, computer industry mm -hmm. and eventually went uh, to you know, the high echelons of being European operations manager for a, um, for a company that was in business to business and looked after the telcos. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I got really interested in emotional intelligence. And the company sent me to learn um, what I could about that. And we found out that it actually came from a therapeutic model because we were implementing it in industry and the effects were absolutely outstanding. So we went from a 70% brain drain to 0%, nobody leaving the company. Wow. And it was, yeah, you know, and it, it was on very um, simple human um, basis that that happened. So we invested a day a year. So we broke that into a quarter day every three months. And we just asked people if it wasn't money that was bringing you into work, what would it be? Mm. And I know that I've left um, that environment behind. And when I go into other companies, I find the same answers keep recurring, the top three. Mm. So it's professional respect. I want to be able to have the crack with the people um, that I'm working with because I spend more time with these people than I do with my own family. Mm. And then the third thing is that I want it to be um, a real environment where we can share things like our, you know, what's happening in our lives and our celebrations and our sorrows, things like going to people's 21st birthdays, 50th birthdays, retirement parties, mm. um, you know, deaths, births, marriages, that kind of thing. The thing that glues us together is community you know yeah um, and also then the fourth one was please don't make me come back to a desk that's backlogged at work when I've been on my holidays because then it doesn't feel like any holiday mm. so so that meant people having one another's back in work and yeah. you know really investing in the SOPs which is the service operating procedures and doing the job exactly for example if I was your backup, Graham, I'd do the job exactly as Graham would do it, not yeah. as Maria would do it. But then when you were covering my holidays, you would do my job exactly as I did it with my right. personality and flavours, you know. Mm. So we, we had huge success with that. But I fell down the rabbit hole of, um, you know, of, of learning and I just couldn't give it up. 
And the more I delved into emotional intelligence and transactional analysis, the more fascinated I became. And then I realized that the way it's used in industry isn't the deepest way to use it, that you could use it in community as well. Um, So I became a biodynamic psychotherapist while I was still um, in the corporate environment. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and did my MA in uh, drama therapy in Maynooth University. And I went back to my roots because my mom was always a storyteller. And now I became a medicinal storyteller and I had an MA to prove it. (laughs) And I just loved it. And, and, um, you know, and I began collecting resilience stories from the elder populations of Cork who had lived through World War Two and who had a pet name for it. And the pet name that they had on World War Two was the emergency, you know, So, yeah, so they'd, they'd lived through that. So a lot of the stories that I collected at that time are very relevant now, you yeah. know. So and, and a lot of them are chock black, full of common sense and wisdom. And I have really discovered for myself that wisdom is not the same as knowledge, you know, absolutely because of how you apply it, you know. Yes. Um, And I've also learned that you can tell a story to an audience of 30 people and 30 different versions of that story will go away and 30 different notes of resonance will go Mm. away, you know. So so that's been fascinating for me to observe and to listen to, you know. Um, So that's a little bit of the the background of how I um, re-fell in love with story and then started to harness it and um, and how I'm still going along with that. Mm. So you totally made a heart-shaped decision there then, didn't you? To go, you obviously followed your heart completely with this whole emo- emotional intelligence and heart sh- and, uh, and storytelling thing. Um, yeah. Absolutely, Graham. And, and as you and I have discussed a lot in the past, it was the first time in nearly 40 years that I had done that, you know, Mm. because we're trained out of it and we're trained, you know, I I operate a system called PILES, which is physical, intellectual, language, emotional, social, and spiritual, you know, when I'm working with people. And I often ask the question when I go into a corporate environment, where is the emphasis? And the emphasis is very often on the intellect, you know, Mm. But unless you ask that question, then it doesn't come to consciousness. And then I say, okay, so if if we're just looking at intellect and we're exercising that muscle all the time, what happens to the other muscles? And they get wasted, you know, because muscles that are not used become wasted muscles, you know. Mm. But the good news about the heart is that it's so resilient and it, it can spring back into action really quickly. You know, and I love to pursue um, the the heart in the environment where we spend most of our time. And mm. I hadn't done that for myself. And I've told you this story be, before, Graham. But when that really came home to me was when I was coming home from a, fen- a friend's funeral. Mm. Um, she'd actually died of uh, breast cancer, you know, yeah. so around the heart area. And it, it was very difficult for me to get time off 
to go to her funeral. And it, yeah. that's when I made my decision that I was leaving that environment because, you know, it's so important sometimes to put your heart first and end yeah. of life is one of those times and start of life is another one of those times, you know? So, and if we look at the school system at the moment and how it's being shaken and how people are looking at, you know, how we can bring heart shaped uh, decision making processes back into that, you know? Mm. Yeah, I was looking at uh, the Irish news yesterday right. and they were talking about um, how a secondary school in Dublin wanted to reopen and they were wondering how they were going to do it. And the parents all got together and local businesses and they built four rooms in the gym over a weekend. Mm. And that harnesses the old Irish um, mehel, they call it, you know. So long ago, if somebody, you know, was farming, yeah. then all the neighbors would come in and help you bring in your crop. And then you would be available to your neighbor yeah. to bring in their crop. And that's mm. called the mehel you know, and they had Mehel Mara as well, which is the Mehel of the sea. So cooperation in the sea and the cooperative movement at the birth of this nation was so strong that mm. it actually it, it brought our um, economy. It pulled it up by its bootstraps. So yeah. we're one of the nations in the world that does best under cooperative, um, you know, under the cooperative environment. Yeah. So we're kind of getting back to that now, back to those roots, you know. That's good to hear. I, mean, I, lo I love, I love the idea of a cooperative. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah. I've been asked. I've been asked about um, joining one myself. You know, because I'm trying. You know, I'm doing work with young people, particularly young offenders, and um, in schools. But the, the young offenders work that I'm doing, I've been asked if I've been interested in joining joining a cooperative to do that, and. Um, I'm giving that some, it really resonates with my values. I like the idea of working, you know, everyone working together for the common good mm. rather than what seems to be the, the predominant uh, culture in certainly in, in Britain at the moment is everybody working on their own for their own good. Um, and that is what they seem to be encouraged to do. But I like, I very much like the idea of working together with people to actually make something very special happen. Absolutely, you know, and it's only in the last century that we're not doing it that way. So yeah. for the for the two millennium before that, we were, you know, and I suppose that the, when you talk about working with young people, it reminds me how the generations have gotten divorced from one another. Yeah. You know? So I I became very interested in that when I was doing my MA and I was. Um, wondering you know kind of why we had why the rise in young people in trouble kept going up and up you know and it was one of the uh, questions that i asked in you know kind of in in my work during my ma mm. and what we found out was the lack of role models so this yes. is a question <laughs> yes, so this absolutely. is a question i often ask you know kind of i ask who is your hero right now and are they living or dead Mm. you know and I ask that when I go into the corporate environment but I also really ask it of young men and there's a great book by John Blythe called Iron John and it's based around one of the grim fairy tales mm. you know 
And a lot of them were directed either to male or to female. And through that work and through working with young men, I found that a lot of them feel, you know, in their own words, that they have to give a beating or take a beating every day at school. Yes. Which is awful. You know, imagine sending your son into that. And it seems to coalesce around the age of 14 or 15 when Mm -hmm. young people are starting out in secondary school. Yeah. You know, and because of the lack of role modeling, they get into um, trying to show prowess in a physical way. Now, if that's channeled like uh, in the Gaelic athletic games or in soccer, then, you know, kind of there is a safe channel for that. Yes. But if it's not and if the child is not given to sports work or teamwork, mm. how do you do it? So I went and I asked the um, elder population, the elder male population of Cork Mm. for their wisdoms, you know, and they said um, you have to get them interested in leaving a a good mark or they will leave a bad mark. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, if they if they can say do a community garden and go, we did that and we're so proud of that. And that's, you know, ours. Then, then they will invest in that. But if yeah. it's if it's it's if it's street gangs, they'll invest in that, you know. Mm. And they don't have the wisdom yet to decide that. So it's very important that these things are are um, put in place, you know. So I have some beautiful stories that I built with young people who had been in trouble. Yeah. You know, and one of them is based on the Shakespearean quote to use your head and not your claws, you know, so Mm. to use your words instead of your fists, that kind of thing, you know, and um, and they had smart things to say. And people in Scotland and Cork and Wales are very similar in that we like the banter you know, and (laughs) the the verbal fencing and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that was beginning to die out because young people were spending more and more time looking through a screen. Yes. You know, and not making deep connections with people. So I have some beautiful stories around that that maybe we can explore explore another time, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I can yeah, I, yeah. I would love to I would love to. I mean I can see I can see lots of opportunities. I mean, I think uh, you know, even in my in my youth, uh, I got into trouble, you know, I I I've had um, a lot of opportunity over the last few months to think about my story and, uh, you know, where I come from. And um, the reason that I did, the reason I sort of ran away from my family at the age of 17. And, the, you know, the reason I did that was because I didn't have any positive role models in my, I didn't want to be like, you know, I didn't want to be like my dad. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember particularly wanting to be like, any of my uncles um, mm-hmm. or anybody that was, you know, I was brought up in a very strict fundamentalist church yeah. and all the people that I ever looked up to in that church, they always let me down in one way or another. Yeah. So there was, no, there was nobody that I absolutely wanted to be like. So I went off into the big wide world in mm-hmm. search of probably role models. I mean, when I think about it now, that was... I didn't know what I was looking for, but that was what I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. So, and if if the role model is somebody full of adventure and charm that says, let's do this, and it's exactly the wrong path, 
mm. and you've been let down by your, your by your own role models, then you're going to take that opportunity. You know. You know, I did. You know, to begin yeah. with, I you know I got into trouble. Yeah. Um, within a year or so of leaving home, because I fell into the wrong company, and I I want because you want to belong. Mm -hmm. um, everybody has a need to belong to something or somebody. And yeah. I, so I had a need to belong. So I belonged to the wrong people and yeah. found myself in trouble. Um, yeah. And I don't remember a positive role model until, um, and it, funnily enough, he was an Irishman. One of the first positive role models in my life um, was when I was 18 years old. And um, I've actually, I've actually slept rough on a railway station in London. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, this guy gave me a job in his pub and, and a home as well. You lived because you lived in in those days when you worked in a bar. Mm -hmm. And um, he gave me a job. I walked in off the street and said, have you got any jobs? And he gave me a job, uh, despite the fact that I probably looked a bit of a wreck. And um, he was an Irishman and he came from County Clare. Ah, oh, um, <laughs> I love County um, Clare. <laughs> yeah. His name, his name was John Dabron, and oh. uh, he, but it turned out, so many, many years later, about, well, about seven, seven or eight years ago, I tried to track him down, and unfortunately he passed away, but his wife was still alive, and they'd retired back to County Clare, to a tiny little village in County Clare called uh, Ballynacally, ah, and yeah. um, not very far from Ennis, yeah. and so I went to see her. And um, I went to, I, after I'd been to a Toastmasters conference, and uh, I had a couple of days extra in Ireland, and I went to went over to to see Paulie and his wife, and um, and she's still alive to this day, as far as I know. Yeah. And she told she told me the story. I'm turning the tables, and I'm telling you the story now. But lovely, but, I love stories. <laughs> but um, she told me the story. She said, well, she said, Graham, she said, you know why? we did that. She said, you know why John did that? Why he took you in? And I said, no. I said, because you never explained it to me. I said, when I think back to it now, when I think back now, I think, where would I have been if they hadn't done that? You know, but yeah. you don't really... And the reason was that um, they had actually both grown up in orphanages in Ireland. Oh. And they'd, they'd, come to, they'd come over to London separately, hadn't known each other, mm. and they both got jobs in the catering trade in London and um, they had eventually bumped into each other in a restaurant where he had, he'd gone to this restaurant for something to eat with some friends and she was working there and they sort of hit it off and uh, ended up running bars and pubs together and got mm. married and had two children and they were together for the rest of their lives and the old uh, happily ever after thing, you know, it was like, they were together for many, many years, and that became very successful. And yeah. um, you know, in fact, you know, he when he passed away, he you know they, they had a very nice house in a, a tiny little village with about six houses in it. Mm. In, um, and uh, look, look at how he used his beautiful experience, yes. and how Pauline did. So John and Pauline could look back with wise eyes and know what was happening with you. And instead of going, we know this is what's going on and this is what you must do, which is how we tend to do it these days, true knowledge instead of true wisdom. Yeah. He said, what about you come in here and I show you a few things and you Absolutely. develop a relationship with him. And that you know? was exactly what he did. And I, you know, oh. I, was, 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's what we need to get back to, you know, Graham. So mm. I'm going to ask you a question now. Go if on. I were to say to you, um, what were the three top most beautiful positive qualities of John? Can you name them? There's three top qualities. Well, he was he was um, he was he was non-judgmental, completely mm. non-judgmental. Yeah. Um, he and uh, because not. And he was um, he was the first person that ever praised me for doing a job, um, yeah. as well. So he would give praise. Not not he didn't he didn't over it wasn't overly. He didn't over praise, it, Yeah. I can remember I'd been working for them for quite a long time, and it was a it was you know people used to go to the pub a lot more in those days. I'm talking about the mm. mid 1970s, and um, he. We'd been working really hard this particular Saturday night in the, in the pub, and um, it was you know there was beer on the floor. It was really, and at the end of the, at the end of the night, he turned around, he, he he patted me on the back, and he said, "You've done a good job tonight." He said, "We'll turn you into an Irish barman yet." And uh, yeah. high praise, high praise, Graham. I know, I know. Yeah, simply given. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that he did was he tried to, he tried to he tried to develop me. Because he wanted me to, he wanted me to actually end up with my own pub with the company that he was working for, and he was yeah. he was trying to develop me to. So even though I was only a young lad, you know, he would um, he would sort of put me into situations where I had to manage. Mm -hmm. uh, so he tried to develop me, and that you know that when I think back now, um, that that was just three things that he did. He did yeah. for me. But, yeah, so if, if we look at those things now, Graham, you know, and what he bequeathed to you, you know, because you said the first thing was he was non-judgmental, you know, yes. and my experience of you in Toastmaster is, is exactly that, that you're, everybody is treated the same, you're very non-judgmental, you're very warm, John sounds also to have been very warm, you know. Yes, he was, yes, he was yeah, warm. You know, yeah. mm. and then, you know, kind of, he, he gave praise but not false praise so oh, absolutely. It, was like, it was earned praise so it yes. was like pat on the back that's a very male thing mm. and and young men can smell from two from like two feet away if you're if you're trying to you know jolly them on with false praise and it feels like a wound it feels like you're wounding them if you do that the praise must be genuine and they know when it's not yeah. You know, so in your work as you're going forward with 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 young men, mm. you know, it's something that you have anyway, and something that we practiced in Toastmasters was, you know, kind of giving, um, you know, kind of the praise that will, you know, kind of genuinely bring you on and say these are your strengths, and yeah. by the way, what about this? And he he did that as well in that he tried to shape you. Um, you know, probably before you were ready, but probably wanted to shape you um, almost like a father. So he, he had a very fathery yeah, energy. Yeah, he was, he was too young to be my father, I think. But um, That doesn't yes. matter. Wisdom but, comes, oh, absolutely. you know, yeah, wisdom can be, I, I mean, there's children that have said very wise things to me. And then there's, you know, oh, like people that are supposed to know better. And I'm like stunned at how um, unconnected they are. Um, you know, oh, to, to I mean, what's happening. Yeah, yeah one exactly. of my, 
I have a, well, I have a, I have a niece who's twenty one now. When you know, from the age of about seven or eight, she's been saying things to me that uh, really made me think. Yeah. You know, I think children can do that to you. Yeah, yeah, and even from co-creating uh, wise stories for children, I'm blown away by their wisdom. Yeah. We come into this world knowing a lot, and then we're trained out of our wisdom. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We have we have so much trained out of us if we're not careful because yes. I think you know I was I actually went for a walk this morning and um, I was trying to put something together. Somebody said to me recently, you know, you have to explain heart-shaped decisions better because not everyone gets it. And, and in one in one way, I don't care that some people don't get it because mm -hmm. the people that matter do get it yeah. um, in a way. But at the same time, you know, and I thought, well, you know what. What is what is making a heart happy? And really, a heart-shaped decision is something that makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's all there is. That's all there is to yeah. it. It's you and know, it's you know not... absolutely. And I've discovered there's different types of happiness. You know. Yes. And content is the one of the richest forms of happiness that there is. Yeah. You know? And while you're content, you can still be sad. You know. Yes. But content. You yes, know? but content. Yes, and I think I've experienced a bit of that in the coronavirus lockdown. Is okay, yeah. you know, this is quite sad because I can't get out and do the stuff that I normally do. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I started a podcast and I've had some of the most fascinating conversations which I've been able to share with other people, including this one. Um, yeah. And I probably wouldn't have got around to doing that if it hadn't have been for coronavirus. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about, and I think you know. I think it's about for me. It's about um, happiness. Is happiness is not about other people. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. I, I remember. I remember getting married. I got married in my thirties, and um, you know, I thought I could make. I got married because I thought I could make somebody else happy, yeah. and I couldn't. Yeah. And after, it's after hard you, and sad lesson to learn, but it's true. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You can contribute to somebody else's happiness. Yeah. And somebody else can contribute to your happiness. So I'm, yeah. but my partner that I'm with now, you know, hopefully, well, I know that we contribute to each other's happiness. Yeah. But I can't make her happy if she's not happy any more than she can me. It That's comes true. from within. It comes from who you are. And it comes from, you know, doing the, doing the things that bring you happiness. Absolutely, you know, and I suppose one of the biggest things that can bring a human being happiness is connection, you yeah. know, and reconnecting, you know, like it feels like we talk every day when we start talking, you and I, you know, yeah. but we haven't seen one another in months and months and COVID was a vehicle for us to come back into contact with as well. Yes. So, you know, with my little story circles and my small little communities, we've been looking at the shining silver lining of COVID. And uh, yeah. this morning I, I sent a message to Massimo Elijah, who lives in America and is mm -hmm. a spoken word artist, who I would never have met in inverted commas, except yeah. that we were doing online stories. Mm -hmm. And also, we, you know, kind of my great story heroes, there's no way you'd ever have gotten all of them under one roof, but no. you can get them on one screen, you know? 
And you, wow. in your work with this, um, you know, with the heart-shaped decisions, mm. I love the way you've reached out, you know, and, and have gathered us all in. And the, the very different conversations that you have with people, I love listening to them just before I go to sleep at night. You oh, know? bless you. That's really nice to know. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's because they're full of wisdom, you know, and people, people because it's a new medium and we haven't, figured out how to sit in front of it and present ourselves in the work way, you know, mm, people yeah. come across as themselves, Graham. And it's really nice um, for that, to, for, for that to be going on. So there's, there's a lot of ha getting back to the roots of heart shaped connections, yeah. which I'm, uh, which I, which I'm really enjoying. And this one is one of those for me, you know, um, and another one is with a gentleman called Seth Townsend. And oh, I think, yeah. yeah, just ju have a look at his YouTube channel. What a beautiful man. What a great human being. Um, he lives in London, yeah. uh, but he's very, he's after starting this thing to um, connect with diversity in the population that's living around him in London, you know. So he he does little chants for children in different languages, you know. Oh wow! But my experience of him is that his um, positivity always makes me feel good. So when I'm chatting to him on story, you know, kind of when we're in story circles together doing mm. our thing, um, I just find his stories always have a positive, upbeat message, you know but very real. It's not, uh, it's like what we've talked about before about with the young men. So yeah. it's not like, you know, and they all lived happily ever after, but it would be like, but they survived beautifully and sometimes smiled, that kind of thing, you know? Yes, you just, yeah, you just um, triggered yeah. something there for me because I can remember so many books when we were children growing up, you know, the children's books were all finished and they all lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And you thought that was that, that was how, how it was, you know, that everyone would live happy. And that it isn't like that, you know, you, you have to you have to go through the you have to go through the pain to you know to experience the joy sometimes. Absolutely. And I go back to children again. If I say to if I go into a school and I say to children do you want a happy story or a sad story or a scary story? Guess, <laughs> guess which one they always go for. I bet they probably ask for the scary story. Scary stories, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> because they're hungry for the experience, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. There's, a, there's a thing in drama therapy that it's important to tell the scary stories. And we, we have made Grimm's tales very insipid. Like yeah. a lot of tales, we've disnified them. And we've made them all happy ever after. But yes. these tales were told so that you could get the experience and the wisdom without having to live through the horror, you mm. know. And children, they think in a, you know, kind of um, in a very symbolic way. So if you're working with children in a therapeutic environment, they won't say, um, I felt threatened, you know, no. or the man was very angry. They'd say something more like, it scared me like the big bad wolf. But if yes, they don't yes. have that reference, they can't yeah. do that, you know? Mm. And then how it transfers into adulthood, then Facebook is a very good example of that because it's always, look how lovely my life is. Look at my yes. beautiful garden. Look at this and look at that. And in behind that, people are crying their eyes out and feeling stressed 
and not able to talk about it. Yeah. They say that on they say that on Facebook everyone's happy, on LinkedIn everyone's successful, and on uh, on Twitter everyone's angry. But I I don't and even even though people even though people know the truth of that, they they still try to measure themselves up to what's being portrayed. Yes, absolutely. So I've been I've been looking at um, you know sex, successful advertising compa- um, campaigns and uh-huh. mass hypnosis. Yeah, and mass hypnosis can often be linked to zeitgeist, you know, and countries can come under the spell of zeitgeist, mm. you know. And one of the scariest in recent history has been how a country came under you know, the spell of a madman who said white people were the most um, most valuable and that others needed to be exterminated. Yes. You know, a whole mm. country. How did that happen? That's zeitgeist. And, yeah. and why aren't we guarding against that? You know, mm. so, um, you know, so there's, there's, um, there's so much in the world of story that you can look at through a lens that's not just intellect. Mm. And I think it's very important that that, that, that's a very important one, topical one at the moment, you know? So, um, and then there's lots of lovely things as well. I got involved in a a gorgeous debate where where people were getting very cross with me because they were saying, we shouldn't have fairy tales like um you know um cinderella because yeah. it subjugates women and i said that's just the way you're telling it and they were like oh, <laughs> how dare you and you're supposed to call yourself a storyteller i said i do call myself a storyteller and i said if you don't like the ending change it if you don't like the roles switch them around mm. that's what storytellers have done since time immemorial but we've forgotten that in the century yeah. You know, because they were like, wipe out the story. I said, no, change the story. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, make, um, you know, make Snow White the one that gallops in on the white horse and saves the prince. Yeah, why not? Or change the ending. And that's a huge tool of drama therapy, you know, mm-hmm. is to, to look at the end, even of, of our own stories. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd you love know? to change, you know. I don't know what my ending is. You know, I'm, I'm still... Yeah, Thank God, because then it would be finished. <laughs> well, yeah, then it's, yeah, yeah that, that's, I mean, that is the, that yeah. is something that I, I sort of fight, I fight against sometimes um, with, you know, having a, having a business and having to earn a living through my business and things yeah. like that is having a plan. And I say, yeah, I like to have a, I know I've got to have a plan, mm-hmm. but I've also got to leave room for some spontaneity exactly for things to happen for things to just come into my life yeah and this, that, that's what's happening now um yeah. things are coming into my life that i would i've always wanted to do but you yeah. know it's not um I, I i'm laughing no um graham because i'm thinking of the conversation we had just before the recorder went on and i said look this is a helicopter view of where we might go with the story and we haven't even touched it no. <laughs> because no. we got involved in conversation and it became real and it's more important you yeah. know so, yeah. I, was gonna, I was actually going to i mean I've, I've tried to keep these to about sort of 40 minutes which is where yeah. where because pe- i think people have a certain um, amount of attention span in this in this day and age 
But yeah. we'll have to do another one because I'd love you to come on and tell and actually do a story for us. Um, yeah, I'd love that too. You know. Uh, so yeah, sometimes I've got quite a few. I think I'm going to have to start putting these out two a week because I've got quite quite a few uh, quite a few um, podcasts recorded. But this this is one that I'm really looking forward to listening back to because yeah. um, it's uh, you know because it's a conversation. I mean, the time has just flown by. We've actually been speaking for over forty minutes. I know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> also I mean uh, Maria's also on my Facebook group, which. Uh, I don't mention, I don't actually mention my Facebook group very much on the podcast, mm. but if anybody is interested in, you know, um, interacting with a kind of fine group of people, actually, on, on the Facebook group, there's a Graham Frost Heart Shape Decisions Facebook group, and do come and join us on there, because we have, um, we have a bit of fun, and I'm, I've actually been encouraging people to do Facebook Lives on there. Actually, maybe you could do a Maybe you could do a Facebook Live on there for us sometime, Maria. Oh, absolutely. I'd take that opportunity. Do a, do a <laughs> story. Do a, do a yeah. story for the group. Could I, could I just mention as well that I'm, I'm actually headlining a festival. Yes, you can, I was just going to say to you, yeah. <laughs> this is your um, moment now to actually talk about how people, how people can hear more from you. Exactly. Well, I have a YouTube channel called Story Seeds, but you have to put Cork in as well because... There was more than one. I thought I came up with the name, but there was more than one um, okay. on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and also in Facebook, I'm uh, Story Seeds Cork, Ireland. Uh, okay. But I'm very, very shortly now, I'm going to be headlining a traditional storytelling festival in Ireland in Lishtol. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Lishtol, but it's um, it's the home of John B. Keane, the playwright John B. Keane. Wow. And there's there's a lot of very famous writers that have come out um, of that place, you know, and it's just full of beautiful traditions and wisdom. And wow. it's the Kerryman's Writers Museum um, that is behind this one. So we'll be having four segments. You, the, the Irish Arts Council are funding it. So it will be free to come along in the live sessions and take part. Mm -hmm. But also um, you'll be able to catch it on the... Kerryman Writers Museum's um, a YouTube channel and Facebook or Facebook and website afterwards. Wow. But, but it's it's great to be there for the banter, you mm. know. So yeah. Would you? Uh, when is that? Um, it's on the nineteenth and twentieth, and it will be coming from Kerry, uh, but it will be online. So it's a virtual festival. So it's the nineteenth and twentieth of September. Yeah, that's right. So what I will do then I will put this podcast out on the 18th of September so people get to hear about it before, so they can actually oh, come along to some of that. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know. That's cool. And That's I sent you the I'm link. Glad, I'm glad about it. Yeah, because I would love, I'm, I'm going to come and have a look myself as well, because I would love to actually hear you do, hear you and some of your lovely storytelling friends do some of your stuff, because I know I've, I've heard you in the past, but um, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic what you're doing, Maria. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I absolutely love what you do. And um, it's been a huge pleasure to have you as a guest and to chat. I could have chatted for another couple of hours. But, oh, uh, me too, once we get talking. <laughs> but we will. We will we'll do another yeah. one, Grace. We'll do another one before the end of the year. Great, yeah. You know. Thank you so much. I'm going I'm to stop, stop the... Take, take care. Yes, thank you, Grace. Okay. See, See you Talk soon.